break from Isaiah, and we're going to go to uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And so uh, this is a very like, highly quoted text uh, that sometimes we're not exactly sure what we're saying whenever we quote the text. So it would be good for us to go through this passage and really see what the Apostle Paul meant when he said this. So one of the phrases that is often heard, which is interpreted here in Philippians 3, is that our citizenship is in heaven. You ever heard that phrase before? Our citizenship is in heaven. Um, and from that statement, we can deduce with, cer- with certain views about how we should live, right? And so we're going to look at this this evening, uh, this thing that we call pilgrim theology. Pilgrim theology. Living as if you are a pilgrim in this world and what that means in terms of the teaching of the Bible. So Philippians 3, we're going to start at verse 17. Uh, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, before we dig in, let's, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing as we seek to understand your word. Help us to see the real and true meaning of this verse and help us not to go too far in any direction that is contrary to your word. Help us to faithfully reflect the teaching of the Word of God tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it's a pretty accurate statement that uh, American culture is in decline, right? I think that's pretty much all the, the application that Pastor Brandon has been giving us from the book of Isaiah, is that American culture is in decline. Uh, Christianity has less and less influence in this country as the years go on. And during election years, which this is one, uh, we hear about the evangelical vote, right? Uh, you know, evangelicals really don't have much of, a, of an influence in this country anymore, except the ones that maybe that are telling you to vote for the demonic baby killers over the mean tweet guy. So, so but just in the last hundred years or so, I mean, think about it. Think about our culture. Abortion has been legalized. Uh, it's still legal today, even though Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Uh, body parts have been put up for sale to the highest bidder. Uh, homosexual marriage has been legalized. Uh, now we have transgenderism, uh, gender-neutral bathrooms, uh, the permission of the state to mutilate children in trying to change them from being boys to girls and vice versa. Uh, We have men uh, masquerading as women, uh, trying to compete in women's sports, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, And our culture celebrates death and destruction, and Christianity has little to no influence in the direction our culture is going right now. 
Uh, our federal government is trillions upon trillions of dollars in debt, and no one seems to care. Uh, Christians have little impact on the direction of our society. And I'm going to give you three reasons why that is. Uh, why does the church have so little impact on uh, the, the, regards to the application of God's word in all of these issues today? Well, first, I think it's because of liberal Christianity. That's one factor. Liberal Christianity has taken a hold of most of the mainline denominations. Uh, we, they have betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. They have gone over to fight on the other side. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not to say that there aren't any good Christians in those denominations, but as a whole, as the leadership, uh, as the stance they take on most issues, they are currently very anti-biblical and anti-Christian. Uh, they have lusted after the respect of the world. Uh, they surrendered the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. They've surrendered the authority of Scripture. They've surrendered uh, righteousness as it's defined in the Bible. And today, most liberal denominations have been captured, and they too support abortion, uh, homosexuality, evolution, uh, and they are betrayers to Christ. Uh, and we would consider even them our opposition. Certainly, they can't have any impact on our society for Christ, right? Uh, because they are certainly not acting as the salt of the earth or the light in the world, of the world in any way. Um, so that's one thing, liberal Christianity. Another reason our, uh, that the church and Christianity has very little impact on the world today is because of dispensationalism. Dispensationalism. This world, we are told, uh, belongs to the devil. Christianity is doomed to failure in time and on earth, and the best thing that we can do is wait on a secret rapture to get us out of here. You know, many folks who believe this sort of thing, you know, they have withdrawn from the public square completely. Uh, they don't vote. Politics is dirty. I don't, don't want to have anything to do with politics. Uh, and the best thing to do to keep themselves clean is to stay away from politics and civil government and anything that has any relationship to those things. There's no concern about the future. There's no concern about the future of their children or their grandchildren because in their mind, it's all coming to an end very soon. Any time now, we are going to be raptured and taken out of here, right? Everything in the Middle East is going downhill. There's chaos, and the rapture is going to be happening any minute now, and we don't want to be left behind. That's dispensationalism. Um, Tim LaHaye, you know who Tim LaHaye is? He wrote the uh, fictional series Left Behind, right? And I think he went to be with the Lord just a few years ago, right? He's, he's no longer alive. I think he was, he's really old, like in his 90s. Uh, he never was raptured. Uh, but he waited and waited, but it never came. Uh, but certainly, I guess in some sense, he's been raptured now, right? At least his spirit has. And now, look, we all understand uh, how those have been issues, liberalism and dispensationalism. It's easy to see that. 
But I also admit to you that there is another problem in many churches and in many Reformed churches, uh, and that is pilgrim theology. Pilgrim theology is another huge reason why much of the American church is so impotent today. Well, what is that? What is pilgrim theology? Well, it's the belief that we are sojourners and aliens here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Christianity is spiritual, not earthly. We must focus on our own sanctification, uh, which is true, uh, because the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we must not go with it. Even though Christ is on his throne, he's in heaven, He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Even though he has sent his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to earth, and Christians have been given all power to take dominion and to subdue the earth in the name of King Jesus, there's really no reason to think that we would have any sort of influence upon the institutions of the earth. Spiritual people don't put a lot of time and effort into earthly things. That's a quick summary of pilgrim theology. And and now I think there's a problem with this line of thinking and living. And and look, pilgrim theology, it it may be better than liberalism and dispensationalism in some ways, but it can be very impotent. Uh, In pilgrim theology, there is no future. What's the future here on earth? There is none. The future is dead. I mean, even some pilgrim theology folks, the more extreme ones, believe that it's better to not even have children because the world's going to end soon. Why bring children into a world uh, that's going to hell in a handbasket? And in that worldview, I guess that makes sense, right? If there's no future, why would you want to bring your children into something like that? Uh, They don't believe that there is an inheritance for the people of God or a hope for their children. Oftentimes, as children are raised in these kinds of churches, uh, they grow up and then they leave, right? They usually leave, if they even go to a church at all anymore, they'll leave for other churches where maybe there's more entertainment, uh, you know, and more things to keep their mind off of the hopelessness that Christianity, their sort of Christianity offers uh, through that worldview. There's no hope in the future for the church. In their minds, the future is dead. Even though the book of Proverbs says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children, and the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. That's what the book of Proverbs says, that we, he says that we ought to be raising our children in hope, leaving them an inheritance. And not just physical things as an inheritance, but an inheritance of faith, at least an inheritance of faith, right? And hope in regards to the future. So I want to talk more about this thing called pilgrim theology, and I'm going to try to hit the nail on the head by dealing with their favorite verse, uh, which is here, Philippians uh, 3.20, where it says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, oftentimes that's quoted, and it's a, a favorite proof text of the pilgrim theologian. And it's assumed that when they say that, everybody understands that verse to mean the same thing that they're thinking, right? I think that we do that with the Bible a lot. We'll just throw a proof text out there and, oh, well, that settles it, right? Because they do the same thing, we do the same thing. But what does this, uh, this text really mean? 
All right, well, the pilgrim theologian would say, well, based on this text, heaven is our home. And we must focus on heaven. We have to prepare ourselves for heaven. Don't get involved with this world. Don't try to change things in this world. It's all going to hell anyway. You know, hey, children, grandchildren, this is how it is. You know, there's no future on this earth because our citizenship is in heaven. And because our citizenship is in heaven, who cares what's going on on this earth? Yes, sir. Would you say this is the, the foundation of like a two kingdoms kind of? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's look at this text. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I try to do and the rest of the pastors try to do when you know, people throw verses at us like this is to, to go back to the text. Let's exegete the text. Uh, let's look at the Greek. Let's look at the context. I, I try to read the commentaries to really see what the author is meant by this particular language. And doing that with this passage, I'll start off by saying that it's true that we are all going to die one day, right? We're all going to die, and we are going to be put in the ground, and we'll be covered in dirt one day, right? Uh, and, and the hope is, as Christians, is that there is a heaven, right? Is that we, we are going to go to heaven, right? That there is life after death, amen? That is our blessed hope. Our spirits are going to go uh, to the Lord, and our bodies are going to stay here and decay. Uh, death is a real thing. Hebrews says that it is appointed unto all men once to die, and then the judgment. But we as Christians have hope, right? Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So it's gain to die. So I'm not minimizing the, the, the world after, life after death. I'm not minimizing that because that's what Scripture teaches. And to depart is to be with Christ. That's the hope that we have. Uh, we all have this hope. And, and anything I say that speaks about pilgrim theology uh, in no way denies the hope that we have uh, after death. You know, think about the thief on the cross. What was he told? Today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Paul was caught up in the third heaven, and he had a vision of paradise that was so wonderful that he, he couldn't even put it into words, right? Heaven is a wonderful place. Heaven is a place that, that we should look forward to, amen? And there's no denial that there is a state after death where we are very much alive and we are aware that we are with the Lord. Um, and it's a better place, uh, at least right now, because of the effect of sin uh, that, uh, in, in our mortal bodies and in this world. It is a better place at this moment. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So I am in no way denying our hope that we have in Christ that should be preached at every single Christian funeral, okay? We have hope. We have hope. Uh, the unbelievers of this world, they don't have that. They don't have anything. You know, I've been to a few funerals where the person wasn't a Christian, or at least they didn't show themselves to be Christians, and there was no hope at this funeral. None. 
Uh, all there were was memories. It was, everything was always a memorial at these sorts of funerals. Um, in the unbelieving world, that's all you really have is a memorial rejoicing about the past uh, because they have no future. There's no hope in the future. No talk about God. You know, that, that really goes for a lot of the generation coming up outside of the church. You know, they don't talk about God at all in, in any of these important moments in life and death. You know, they don't see funerals as opportunities to think about and meditate on life and death or meditate on God, period. Um, You know, oftentimes they cremate the body and they just want to forget about it. You know, let's just get this out of here. And they want to get death out of their sight as quickly as possible. And they only dwell on the past Uh, and they rejoice about the past. Uh, But they don't dare mention God and they don't dare talk about the future because there is none. Uh, That's the kind of world that is normal in most American lives these days because Christianity as an influence in the world is steadily declining. But we as Christians, we have a hope. We have that. We have a hope. We have an assurance. We have a confidence That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that should be a comfort for us that we need to think about and talk about. And we need to encourage everyone facing death, anyone who is dying and they're a believer uh, with this truth that there is hope. Heaven is a real thing. Heaven is a wonderful place to go to. Okay. Now. Spent long enough qualifying that, okay? So I hope everybody got it. All right, so with that being said, let's go back to the text and see what we can draw from it. Philippians chapter 3. Notice the context in verse 17. Uh, The context really surrounds Paul's behavior. He's talking about his own behavior. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Okay? So it's just about his behavior. And then he begins to warn about false prophets. False prophets that are even in the church. It says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So they essentially call evil good and good evil. They're proud of evil. Uh, They're not ashamed of what they should be ashamed of. They're proud of it. Their value system and and their worldview comes from the world. Uh, The world, in their view, is a closed system. It's a closed system. There's no God outside of the physical realm. And their desire and and all of these things come from their own lustful and sinful flesh. They derive all their values from the world itself. There's no transcendent God or no transcendent being outside of this world that they get their their law from, their value system. Uh, They believe that truth comes from the earth. Uh, it's essentially a Darwin Marxist closed system, right? A dog-eat-dog world, survival of the fittest world. And the only way that you're going to get on top and to be happy 
is to get yours, right? I'm going to get mine. That's, that's their worldview. A positive law. You know, the law is what I say it is. Uh, and, and the earth is the only thing that matters. Uh, there is no heaven. There is no God. It's the, the John Lennon worldview, right? In his song, Imagine. That's, that's their anthem, right? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try, right? It's this false utopian dream. Uh, it's very worldly. And it's anti-Christian. It's anti-biblical. And, and some of the folks that believe in this stuff ran in the church in Paul's day. And they run in the church now. Uh, they run in religious circles, right? Uh, and then he says in verse 19, he, he makes a stark contrast here. He says, these guys act this way, but our citizenship is in heaven. He draws a stark contrast there. But our citizenship is in heaven. You know, most versions of the Bible, including the ESV, use this word citizenship, uh, including the New King James Version, they use that. But the Old King James Version says our conversation is in heaven. I'm not sure what the Geneva uses. Anybody have the Geneva out? Yeah, I can hear it. Uh, what's, the, um, what's the verse? Uh, Philippians 3.19 or 3.20, I think. It says conversation. Yeah. yeah. It says our conversation is in heaven. King James says that. Geneva Bible says that. Well, that settles it, right? We're done. <laughs> no. Our conversation is in heaven. Uh, you know, sometimes in studying the Bible, although, uh, you know, I do look at the Greek and, and the Hebrew, and I, I use the ESV whenever I'm teaching, I like to go back to uh, older translations of the Bible, like the King James Version, because those translators were not under the same pressure of interpreting certain words in regards to the culture in which they lived in. They didn't have that pressure. And so it's, it's, I just want to see what, a, trans, what a, a brilliant translator, a board of translators would translate this if they didn't have that pressure of the current zeitgeist you know, slamming on them. And so they said, conversation. To our modern ears, I don't know if that's very helpful or not. So let's go a step further and get to the Greek. The original Greek word here that citizenship is translated uh, is the word from which we get the word polis, which uh, really is a Greek word that means city, uh, politics, uh, police, um, metropolis, those sorts of things. And so the old King James Version, our conversation is in heaven, that basically means uh, our behavior is in heaven, which includes our conversation, most certainly, right? Uh, the government, the policing, the commonwealth of our behavior is in heaven, or it comes from heaven. That's what Paul is saying here, that our behavior, our manner of living finds its source in heaven. Uh, another way to say it is that heaven gives us our identity. Uh, this is why they would translate it citizenship then, because that's like so much of our culture and our way of living. It's bound up in where, what country we're going. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. Nailed it. Uh, the world doesn't give Christians their identity. Our identity doesn't, doesn't come from the world. Our identity comes 
from heaven. Heaven gives us our identity. Our marching orders comes from outside of this world, right? Uh, they come from outside of our fleshly lust and our appetites, our bellies. And that's what the word there basically means. Our behavior, our identity comes from heaven. And our identity is very important, right? It's very important. Uh, you know, think about it. When we're pulled over by the police, for instance, what's the first thing the officer wants to see when he pulls you over? Your driver's license. Why? Because he wants to identify you, right? He wants to see proof of your identity. Who are you who you say you are, right? You have to have an identity, at least to drive a car, right? Uh, to take out a loan, they're going to ask for identification uh, or to, to uh, rent a car or to buy a car, take out a loan for a car. They want to see your identity. If you go to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription, uh, you have to have a way to show your identity, right? Not to mail-in vote, though. Oh, never mind. <laughs> you get on an airplane. They want to see your identification, right? Your driver's license, your passport, because it's proof of who you are and where you're from. That's what Paul means when he uses this word uh, citizenship. Uh, all right, it's our, our identity ma mandates our behavior. That comes from heaven. Uh, our citizenship, our conversation, our identity comes from heaven, not from earth. The city where we are freemen is heaven, and we behave accordingly here on earth. Our identity as Christians doesn't come from this world. Okay, so with that in mind, look at verse 20 again. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is in heaven. He is seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. But we await him. We're waiting for him. He's coming back. Uh, then in verse 20, Paul tells us what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. He is going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so he's coming back from heaven to earth. Uh, and when he comes back to earth, he's going to transform our bodies into glorious bodies and we will live on a new earth where, with new heavens where not uh, sin dwells and reigns. What, what reigns in the new heavens and the new earth? Righteousness, right? Righteousness dwells. Uh, and there, there's not going to be any sin. And, and that's what the future hope of the resurrection is, right? When Jesus comes back, he is, uh, he is going to uh, raise up all of us Christians, and we are going to have a glorified body. And eventually, we will be living at home, which is where? On earth. It's on earth. That's after the resurrection, right? So we are going, our, our permanent home is here on earth. Uh, but what makes it home is that we are in a physical body which God made us to be in to begin with. And we would still be in that body if, hypothetically, Adam didn't sin, right? Uh, and we would also be in a place where there would be no sin. It would only be righteousness. See, the problem is, is not having a body. That's not, that's, the, the problem is does not like because you have a physical body, you're a foreigner and a stranger. That's not the issue. 
The problem and the thing that makes us sojourners and exiles is sin. That's the problem. It's not that we have a physical body. That's not the issue. And we have to make that distinction. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, when people say, well, my citizenship is in heaven, what they really mean is we don't belong in a body and we don't belong on this earth and we belong in heaven and we don't care what happens on this earth. Uh, Just get us out of here as quick as you can. But Right. uh, Heaven is my home. I'm just passing through. That's right. Uh, The problem, though, is not the body. It's not the fact that we have bodies. The problem is sin. And it's wages, which is death. That's what Paul has been talking about here in verse 19. He says, Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Not things simply because they're physical, but things that are on earth that are guided and mandated and controlled by fleshly appetites and lust. So rather than escaping the body... We are going to have new bodies on the earth, glorified bodies, resurrected bodies, right? Now, of course, there is an intermediate state, right? Uh, there is a paradise where our spirits, before that resurrection time, we will go to be with the Lord spiritually. But the goal of the Christian is not simply to be in heaven lying around with spirits. That's not the goal for the Christian, That's not the ultimate hope that we look forward to. It is a blessed hope. It's a wonderful hope, but it's not the ultimate hope. And the text isn't teaching us that we should sit around here on earth and just wait for heaven. Just wait to get teleported out of here. What it's teaching us is that heaven gives us our identity. Uh, It makes us different. That's why we're different. Because of the God who is in heaven. That's why we, we love and Um, And we think the way we do, contrary to those who think like the world thinks and this and thinking that this age is all there is. Yes, sir. It's like uh, you being an American citizen and traveling uh, overseas. You have certain rights associated with your citizenship. That's right. I I have an analogy coming up that had that exact thing. You You beat me to it. That's okay. That's great. I'm, I'm, glad you're, I'm glad y'all are understanding this. This is perfect. Good. Yeah, our citizenship, our commonwealth, that's another good word to, to put in there. Our commonwealth is in heaven. Uh, it's the place where, uh, where we get our identity, where I can show my driver's license and say, here, I'm a citizen of this state, uh, the commonwealth of heaven, right? That place that gives me my identity and the blessings and the privileges and the benefits that come with it, uh, you know, that's in my home state, heaven. Um, our citizenship is there, but we're here on earth. Now, the prominent interpretation here is, well, we're here on earth, but we should really be in heaven. That's where we belong. That's where we need to go. You know, like we said earlier, you know, uh, this earth is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And we just need to either sit around, wait to die, or wait for Jesus to come back and rescue us. Because this world is going down like a sinking ship. No, we're here on earth, and we should live a righteous life uh, in this ungodly world because our identity is in heaven, not from earth. Earth is ultimately our home. This is ultimately our home. Now, it's not going to look like this forever. Thank God, right? Uh, Our bodies aren't going to look and be like this forever. Thank God. Uh, 
But it's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And when Jesus comes back and he raises our bodies up from the grave and transforms it into a body, he's going to transform it to a body like his. He already has a glorified body. And we're going to be with the Lord forever. That's a wonderful hope. And so, uh, here's the issue, though. When the Bible speaks of being strangers and aliens on earth, the tension isn't between the physical and the spiritual. You know, we we should not... um, we should try not to be guilty of the Gnostic heresy here, right? Uh, this is not a tension between the physical and the spiritual. Now, now to some degree right now, uh, because the body has been affected by sin and we have to deal with death, it, there is somewhat of a tension, right? We do long for a better time, a greater time, right? But chiefly, that's not the, the main tension. The tension really is between sin and righteousness, Sin and godliness, right? Think about Abraham for a moment. Uh, Abraham was a sojourner in the promised land, right? What does that mean? Well, he was a sojourner not because he had a physical body. That wasn't why he was a sojourner. He was a sojourner because he was living in the land of Canaan, which was full of pagan nations and full of idols. That's why he was a sojourner. And by faith, Abraham lived as an alien, not because he was in a physical body, not because uh, he was here on earth. No, he was a sojourner because he lived in the land of promise that was at that moment full of idolatry and paganism. And he just simply didn't fit in there. He didn't fit in. He was a foreigner. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 19. Y'all can turn there. It's only take a second. Ephesians 2.19 talks about this even further. It uses these terms, strangers and aliens. Paul, again, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Huh, the household of God. I think that that's the church, right? Yeah, that's the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what is this building? What is this structure? Uh, What is this dwelling place for God by the Spirit? What is that? Is that heaven? No, it's the church. It's the church. Um, So it says that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we have found our home. Paul says this in the past tense. We have found our home. Not ultimately in heaven, right? But in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we have found our home. Um, I'm going to send you all somewhere else. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11. Peter does the same thing Paul did in Philippians. He draws a contrast between 
the way the world lives in their sin and lustly appetites and the way Christians live in righteousness. He draws the same thing here. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so what is it that makes these Christians sojourners and exiles? It's abstaining from the passions of the flesh. That's what makes them different. Not being on earth. They are strangers because they don't live the way the world lives. That's what we are strangers and aliens of right now. Right? Uh, Think about this. Before you go to a foreign country, especially a foreign country that has some tensions and conflicts between the people in that nation or with the nations around it, I think it would be wise for you to find out where the nearest U.S. embassy is located. Right? Uh, Why is that? Well, because if something goes down, I want to know where to go for safety as an American citizen, right? Uh, I want to know where my nation is. I want to know where my people are if something goes down in this foreign land, right? And and there is an embassy in most nations. and, And on that piece of property, how many of you know, on that piece of property, that is America. That is the United States. Uh, That is where your national citizenship resides. That's good to know. It's the home away from that place which gives me my national identity. Uh, In the same way, the church is God's stronghold of heaven on earth. Uh, There, we are at home in a foreign land. So the church is very much like the heavenly embassy here on earth, right? There we are safe. There we have our identity. I I shouldn't even say it's an embassy because all of the world now is Christ's. It's a stronghold, I should say. Um, It's a home base for advancing the troops uh, and going into the world, right? That's probably a better way to say it. Uh, But anyway, we go to the church. We're safe there because we are on home ground, right? We are uh, there. We have our identity. All right. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me again. I'm not teaching that uh, we don't have this glorious hope after death. We do. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, To die is gain, and it's significant. But living is pretty significant, too. (laughs) It's pretty important, too, right? To live is what? It's Christ. That's important. And, And we're not living in heaven right now, right? We're not living in heaven. We're living on earth. And the reason that we are strangers and aliens is not because we're in the physical body. It's because we live in a land full of idolatry due to, I think, the abdication of the church to preach and to live out Christ, all of Christ and all of life. Now, Christ has claimed the entire world as his, and it is his in every, every right. Uh, just like uh, he owned the promised land in Abraham's day. But Abraham was still counted a stranger and an alien, not because he was on foreign soil, but because he was in the midst of a foreign people who needed to be driven out in due time. It's the same thing now. The idolatry and the wickedness 
needs to be driven out now because this is King Jesus's land. Amen? But it can't be done with physical swords and guns. No, what must it be done with? What sort of weapons? Holy Spirit, spiritual weapons, right? Uh, Namely, the preaching of the gospel and the witness of the church here on earth. But until that time, which will happen, but until that time, we are going to live, in some sense, as sojourners and exiles uh, in this world. But until the church understands that uh, this is King Jesus' world and that we are to live out all of Christ in all of life, we are never going to open the Bible to look for any real application of how to live in this world. We're never going to do it. It's always going to be, well, uh, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to wait around and we're going to you know, keep ourselves clean uh, and keep to ourselves until it happens and we can't wait to get out of this dump. Right? That's what a lot of churches in America think. That's what they believe. Uh, and, and, you know, in one sense, there is a lot of the curse to still be reversed, right? And it could be tempting for any one of us to feel like that, no matter what our eschatological view of the future is. Or, you know, when you're sick, I'm talking about like terminally sick or infirm or 90 years old and your health is failing. You know, it's tempting to think that way, Right. I mean, there's something wrong with you if you don't think that way. I'm ready to get out of here, right? Uh, But the problem is, is that this passage that is usually quoted to defend this, our citizenship is in heaven, this heaven is my home sort of view, that's not what this passage means. That's not what Paul is saying. Our home is with Christ. And the reason we are aliens is because we live in a land where the majority of the people hate God and practice idolatry, and we just don't fit in at the moment. We don't fit in. So what we need to do as the church to combat, combat this sort of worldview uh, is to begin applying God's Word to all of life. Uh, and it's applicable to all of life, way more than what we think it is. Trust me. The Bible has the underlying principles to every single issue of life. Way more than we think. The issue of education, the issue of politics, the issue of of money and finances, economy. All the issues of life, we need to apply the word of God. And we need to train our families and our children and send them out when they're ready to make an impact on the world in which they live. To be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. You know, what we don't need to tell people is, well, our citizenship is in heaven and we don't have anything to do on earth besides save some brands from the fire. And we just need to wait around, keep to ourselves and hope we get raptured out of here as quickly as we can. No, we don't need to be living that way and we don't need to be teaching our children to live that way. Our government, our commonwealth, our identity, the source of who we are is in heaven. Uh, You know, let us live like we serve the king of heaven, the king who now rules over this land. And we only have a few more minutes here. I'll wrap up. Uh, Let's wrap up here with one psalm. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 103, verse 15. I think this psalm gives us a good balance to what we've been talking about. Psalm 103, 15. 
The psalmist is very straightforward here, and he speaks to each one of us. Psalm 103.15. It says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Well, that's the first part of what I said tonight, right? We all die. And, and our lifetime on earth is relatively short. And when we're gone, we're soon forgotten. Uh, our homes forget us. You know, do you know that the tree in your front yard will probably outlive, be there long after you die? The tree in your front yard, if you have one. Uh, think about it. You, <laughs> we think we're so important sometimes, right? Uh, the tree in your front yard is probably going to be there long after you're gone. And so we need to recognize the shortness of our own lives. And we need to recognize that we die. Uh, we need to recognize that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But that's not the end of it. Let's see what he also says. He gives the other side of the coin here. And he gives us the reason why, even though our lives are short, why we, he gives us the reason why we should still be fighting and building and winning, even though our lifespan on earth is so short. Look at verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. You shouldn't be concerned as much about yourself as it relates to God's kingdom as much as you should be concerned about your children and your grandchildren. Leaving them a godly inheritance so they can continue to extend the kingdom of God and his righteousness to the farthest reaches of the earth from sea to shining sea. You know, even if you don't have grandchildren yet, even if you're not even married and have children yet, you should be thinking about your children and your grandchildren. Now is the time to start thinking about them. Now's the time. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. There it is. There's the balance. Life is short, but we also have an infinite amount of time on our side. We have an infinite amount of time on our side as we think about what we're going to leave to our children and grandchildren. And we have to live as if it's our responsibility to leave in their hands what has been given to us by uh, our godly fathers of the past. Right? Uh, the Lord, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And his kingdom lasts forever. Amen. Amen. That's a good place to stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again uh, pray that you'll help us see the world and our place in it with the right perspective, the biblical perspective. We know that life is short and we flourish like a flower and we soon are gone. But yet we have a responsibility not only to our children, but to our children's children. And a good man leaves an inheritance at least an inheritance of faith to his children's children. And the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Help us to hold on to your promises 
and help us to apply the word of God to all of life, that Christ might be honored, that we might well say that to live is Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.